Hey, Kelly. Hey, This is our intro right here. Ready? Go. Let's go back in time. Boom. Kelly's in ninth grade. Uh, thank you. Um, Wayne's World. I was certain that I was going to go to law school, but both of my parents were like, yeah, maybe no. And mm-hmm. uh, Very supportive. <laughs> they, I mean... Hopefully they I, don't listen to the show. I am the first person in my family to have a four-year degree, so... Congratulations. Boom. Thank you. Um, so the, I think the idea of law school was like it's such a weird concept that they were like, who are you? Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, anyway, so needless to say, I did not go to law school, but I do keep toying with the idea of like, do I want to torture myself and go to law school? You, you totally. And especially <laughs> if you can take out a huge loan yes, uh, at, a, yes. at a very high, like especially a private loan with like 10% interest. Yes. And you really, you really have no desire to practice law. That is the best time to go to law school. Preach, Yes. Mm-hmm. So good I mean, luck. Look at everything you're doing with your law degree. Yeah, that's right. Look at what I'm doing. What am I doing? Jamming. Anywho. Anywho. Let's get into the episode. That was so creepy. All right. Let's get into the episode. That was even worse. All right. Let's get into the episode. But all right. Let's talk to Dave Jaffe joining us from across the pond. And hopefully he doesn't shake his head in shame at my attempt at a British accent when he listens to this episode later. But everybody, strap in and get ready for another episode of Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts... Sakalakis and Kelly Street, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, Sakalakis. Kelly, how are you today? I am great. Um, I don't know if this has dawned on you, but we now are cultivating this amazing international podcast. Ooh, fancy. I know. I know. We have been lucky enough to have a Canadian guest and a guest who joined us from Dubai, but original um, originally came from Germany. And now we have a lovely British guest, which as uh, listeners will know, is my favorite accent in the world. So I am triply excited. Um, Guy, do you want to introduce our guest? I'd be honored to. Welcome Dave Chaffee, founder of SmartInsights.com, which is a learning platform for digital marketing. Dave, welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Thanks, Guy. It's great to be here. And uh, thanks, Kelly, as, as well. I, I hope my accent is... Uh, we, we've got around uh, 30 regional accents in uh, England, so I hope uh, mine works for you. And the listeners, hi to all, all joining today as well. It absolutely does. So where, uh, 
where is your accent? Uh, where does it hail from? I should ask right away. Uh, I've moved around a lot. So we have the uh, the southern, uh, the BBC accent. So I'm from uh, Portsmouth in the south of uh, England, but then I moved to the north and I'm now in the Midlands. So uh, it's a mix. Awesome. And uh, for anybody else like me who is a fan of the Great British Baking Show, um, obsessive fan, uh, <laughs> you watching that show is an awesome introduction into just how different the accents are throughout the whole of England. It's really cool. Anyway. <laughs> You're you're right. Yes, I'm watching that with my family, and uh, we we can see we have French and Asian people on there as well. So we've got a nice uh, diverse uh, set of people on the Bake Off and who live here as well. It's pretty cool. Okay, so let's turn it back to marketing. So, what um, if you could tell our listeners what makes you an expert in digital marketing? Well, experience, I think. I'm very fortunate <laughs> to have worked in digital marketing uh, since it was called internet marketing in the mid-1990s. That's when I started uh, training and consulting uh, and learning about the fantastic tools that are available for digital media, digital technology to, uh, to help with our, our marketing. So uh, I've been training and consulting and uh, in the last eight years we've launched Smart Insights as a, a global platform. Uh, Guy mentioned it's a learning platform. We actually have uh, paying members who use our resources in over 120 countries. So we're, we're quite international as well. And our, our members use our content to help them plan strategies, plan campaigns. And uh, we, we really work with uh, businesses uh, across all sectors from the, uh, the very smallest businesses to, uh, to the largest. Uh, in, in international businesses like uh, 3M, for example, uh, or one of our customers. We were working with the, some of the Procter & Gamble brands this week in a training workshop as, as well. Awesome. 3M is actually located, well, their um, headquarters are located where I am, which is Minneapolis, Minnesota. So. Yeah, it's a small, small world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So right off the bat, my first question for you, digital marketing is such a wide breadth of um, topics and options and things. Do you have a few or maybe even just one favorite digital marketing strategy? Yes, it's uh, yeah more of a tactic uh, than a strategy, but it's uh, organic search or search engine optimization, uh, SEO, the listeners might have heard it as. So it's using those free listings in Google in the main to attract uh, visitors to your site through inbound marketing. So having the, the best content uh, to to suit your audience and uh, to, to help them in a legal sense, it would be to help them learn and uh, develop in the uh, in, in their profession. Uh, but for us, uh, I, I've always focused on, on, on SEO in training courses and in, in writing uh, guidance, best practice. And uh, I was mentioning there our global audience. And really, it's thanks to Google and our SEO that we've uh, achieved that. So we have, uh, although we're a business to business uh, organization, we have around half a million uh, visits to our site each month. And 80 percent of those are driven uh, via Google and organic search. So it's it's much stronger than, say, social media uh, or, or email marketing for us, that those are uh, important at other points in the customer journey. But uh, I, I'm a huge fan of, of SEO and I've been uh, studying it and the, the changes Google has made since uh, 
now a lot of us are using smartphones to search. Excellent. Well, you're in good company because we are strong believers in the power of uh, SEO and creating great content and earning visibility. Uh, you know, we've always thought that the leg up, the genius of Google is that uh, they've found a way to capture intent, right? So whether it's social media or uh, any other kind of advertising, it's more interrupting, right? Where search, mm -hmm. people are actually going out and looking for whether it's a business or an answer to a question. Uh, what kind of tips could you help uh, folks understand from an SEO perspective? I know it's, you know, there's a whole strategy and probably process that you have in place for uh, taking on a, uh, a new client or customer or advising someone, but what are some of the headlines you would suggest to lawyers in thinking about how they approach organic search strategy? Sure. Yes, you're right, Guy. It is all uh, around intent. Uh, so the uh, the starting point is, as with a lot of good marketing, understanding your audience and looking at uh, how they they search. Um, so creating target keywords, combinations of, of words that people search for is essential as a starting point. I think um, often within uh, professional services, you do get some regional behaviour. So people will will search for the type of legal service plus the uh, the location. I'm I'm sure that that's obvious, but that that's an example. Uh, so for me, I'm based uh, near Birmingham. So if I was looking for corporate law in Birmingham, a uh, any lawyers in in that area should try to get visible through uh, registering with uh, Google My my business. I was small, doing a training session with a small uh, German business this uh, this week and they weren't actually registered in uh, that. This was actually a branding business, brand identity business, but uh, they weren't registered in Google My Business. So when someone was searching for branding services in Hamburg, where they were based, they weren't visible. And the great thing about Google My Business is that it's free. And also, if you have multiple offices, multiple locations, you can ensure that they're all included that there. And Google will naturally promote you towards uh, the top of the list. Uh, so beyond understanding the, uh, the audience search behavior, there's a whole raft of, of, of techniques which um, I think everyone knows that you need to have the match between the copy, the content on the page, and uh, what people are searching for. So to give an example of that, we, um, with the name of our business, Smart Insights, you might guess that we share a lot of uh, stats about how people use the internet. So if you search for, say, social media statistics or mobile marketing statistics, you would find that Smart Insights ranks quite highly. And that's because we've uh, created articles around those topics, but they're not just short articles. They're very comprehensive. Google tends to uh, favor this real detailed content that when people visit it, they'll, they'll stay, they'll browse for, um, for, for longer. And when you research into this, you find that in a competitive area like that, where there's a lot of people publishing information about statistics online, you actually need usually around 2000 words plus to engage the audience and then Google will see that people are sticking around on your on, on your site. But even more important, people will be linking to you as a reference source. And that's why our statistic 
post performs so well because if someone's writing an article about trends in mobile marketing and they want to uh, to make a point that today 70% of our audience are uh, using smartphones by default, they will link back to us as a, a reference. And Google has always used these citations, as they call them, as a way of the strength and quality of content and, and sites. So to boil it right down, it's those two key factors of a match between what people are searching for in your content and the number of links to your site. Uh, so working with influencers to encourage more links back and partners within your industry is really important as well. But ultimately, it all comes down to content. And I think one of the big trends over the last five years I've seen in, uh, in, in digital marketing and marketing broad, broadly is the prominence of content strategies and thinking more carefully about the types of content that will support your audience through the customer journey as they're uh, looking for professional services in, in, in the legal sense. I feel like I need to get a t-shirt that says it all comes down to content because uh, <laughs> Dave, I, I tend to be, um, at least my history with marketing is more on the content side and that's a lot of what I do now, including of course this podcast. And so I, I just, I really like that. I can picture the t-shirt already. <laughs> yes, uh, if you wanted a nice uh, visual t-shirt, uh, obviously people have said since I think started in, in digital, uh, content is queen, content is king, and you know that's no different now. But uh, what I would suggest uh, anyone listening in, if you have a look, I'll talk you through a technique to uh, to review the content you use in your business. We we call this the uh, the content marketing matrix. And uh, if you Google this, uh, it's an example of our successful content marketing matrix. And it's got many images. So you'll see different versions of this, but it's simple enough. Its power is it's simple enough to explain on a on, on a podcast. So on the uh, the horizontal axis, you simply look at the part of the uh, the funnel that uh, you, you're looking to attract people. So the top of funnel content would be on the left and that might be our, our content like the, uh, the posts on our blog on social media marketing that I mentioned. And then as you go from left to right, you have content that's deeper down the funnel. So some of our mid funnel content is a, a template on planning a digital marketing strategy. Uh, that's really our hero content. And for us, because we get a good volume of search traffic, that enables us to generate around uh, six to 8,000 new contacts or leads on our database each month. And I'm sure many uh, of the listeners who are looking at their professional B2B services would, would use a similar approach. And then to complete the picture, you might have your bottom of funnel content as well. And this is the what you need to convince your audience to buy a service or subscribe, in our case, to our membership. So we would uh, we, we create uh, case studies and testimonials, which, uh, again, are important in in legal marketing to show that you're a, a, a good, credible company uh, to to work with. So on the why, I hope this is uh, making sense so far. Uh, the why is a bit yes. simpler. At the top, you simply have more emotional content. So this might include infographics and, and visuals. It might include your content marketing T-shirt. And at the, uh, the bottom, you have your 
more rational content, which which might be the, uh, the the case studies I mentioned before, or white papers about your your services, uh, and it can be offline as well. Actually, uh, T-shirt uh, Kelly is a great example of content marketing. I was uh, I was doing a presentation for On Twenty Four, who are a, uh, like a a webinar service and they actually at the event they had a machine where people could print t-shirts of their own design related to the company name and and they actually had several hundred people sign up and uh, uh, get, get one of those t-shirts so I thought that was a great uh, great bit of marketing but that's the uh, yeah. content marketing matrix does does that make sense as I've talked you through it yeah, absolutely. And I definitely know we will link to that or maybe even put the image in our show notes. Great. Feel free. There's also a content distribution matrix, which is it's one thing to create the content. And um, what we would do, I would suggest if anyone takes a look, they can audit, do a review of their current content and then maybe take a look at competitors in the sector. So other uh, legal companies that they look up to, and then you can do a kind of gap analysis between the two and come up with uh, new ideas. So it's great for ideation. But yes, the uh, content distribution matrix, that's then all about the techniques you use for uh, sharing content as well to uh, complete the picture. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I tend to be, you know, I, I'm not to diminish the importance, like the real cornerstone, of course, is you've got to have something on your pages worth talking about sharing linking to but i often think that it's so some everybody's focused on well I'll just you know create this great content and people come and often the distribution or the amplification of the content uh, is lacking and so you might you might actually have some of the best pages on a particular subject but if you don't get them out in front of the right audience or amplify them then you're not going to get those things that you mentioned in terms of citations links which you know are such important signals at least in the context of seo Yes, that's spot on, uh, Guy. You're, you're right. And I've heard, uh, well, one of the best sources for learning about content marketing, uh, if anyone's not aware of it, because it's the uh, the single best source, and I'm not talking about our business, although we cover a lot on content marketing, is the Content Marketing Institute. And this was uh, founded by Joe Polizzi now 10 years or so uh, ago, when he wrote a book called Get Content, Get Customers. And um, yeah, he, he's really emphasized the importance of working with influencers uh, as well. And I think it's, it's a realization now that uh, I'm fortunate to be an influencer uh, within marketing. And I'm now seeing more businesses coming direct to me uh, through social media or, or, or via email saying, would you like to join our influencer program? So I think within content marketing, influencer outreach and having a good process for that is, is getting more prominence. And there's a lot of great tools as well to uh, to find out your network and the type of within your within the sphere of legal marketing, for example, you can use tools like Tracker or um, Onalytica is one based here in the UK, and it will actually show you a map of the influencers in your sector and who those uh, most important influencers are in terms of their reach and uh, credibility. So, well, yeah, well, well worth uh, looking at, at, at that technique and. Uh, Finding publications you can work with as as well as uh, part of that as well. So journalist influencers, of course. Excellent. I think it's so important, really, regardless of what business you're in, but in the context of legal marketing, 
to really, to, to your point earlier, Dave, about understanding your audience. And I know that one tool uh, that people use to sketch out their audience and, and get a better picture of that is our personas. And um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on personas. Are, are personas useful in your opinion or uh, are there problems with personas? Talk to us a little bit about how to build personas, whether they're useful or, and maybe what's wrong with them. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, personas because, as you say, marketing is is about understanding the customer. And you know, what better way can you have for getting a shared understanding in a business of who the customer is? And and it really gives you that that focus. So, I first came across the idea of of personas when I was working with HSBC as a bank, and they were looking at different types of uh, banking audiences. Now, within legal, of course, you might have your business to business and your consumer personas. But I think it's it's important for each to have a, the idea of a primary persona so you can really focus on your core audience. And that may change through time. So when we launched uh, as a site giving advice on digital marketing, our main persona was a digital marketing uh, manager, so a specialist in digital. Uh, but as we've grown um, and digital, I think one of the key success factors is integration. Um, digital is, is now much more the responsibility of your CMO and your, uh, your, your VP of, of marketing. So our personas have extended to include that more senior audience. So I guess the, um, the takeaway is there. It, it's good to have a primary persona to focus on, agree that within the company and uh, that that may change through through time. It's it's worth remembering as well that if it's a web design persona, it's not necessarily the most important customer type by volume. So I know uh, when when Ford were working on personas for their cars, they didn't use some petrol head guy as the persona. They actually gave. Um, they had a female persona who wasn't like mad interested in cars. Maybe she was a single mother, so she, uh, you know, she wasn't buying as part of a family group. So she was more challenging both to engage and to explain what those the, those different audiences were. And if you look at car sites, they're very good at defining the top tasks that a persona like that might have as they're they're working through the education content on a on a site to to in, in, engage so so yeah th those are some of the the, the top level uh, benefits and, and and approaches you were asking you know are they you know they're not a hundred percent good and any like any tool uh, like a pen knife they need to be uh, carefully used and I think what I see is that often personas are too superficial they do have value if it's just explaining the type of role um, but the uh, the personas that we share on smart insights they actually go down into more detail um, you need to look at the pain points of your audience you need to look at what what turns them on what excites them uh, what what value they're looking to to get and then also understand a bit about the uh, the, the context so which scenario are are they in as well and going back to what we were discussing earlier with uh, content marketing you need to really look at mapping 
different content through the uh, the customer journey because I was um, I was doing some consulting last year and uh, it's a large business to business organization and they said we've got these personas Dave but they're not really driving the content on the the website we need to operationalize them uh, they said so that's when we created a, a three-step content map for each persona uh, as well we, we've also looked ourselves at updating our personas recently. And um, if anyone's looking for more detailed guidance on persona creation for B2B, a couple of sources I'd, I'd mention other than Smart Insights. One would be HubSpot, the, uh, the marketing automation platform. They have great examples of how to develop more detailed personas. And then you also have Adele Ravella, and she's formed what she calls the Buyer Persona Institute, and she gives a much more detailed B2B persona uh, breakdown that we've actually used in, in updating our personas recently. So I hope it's useful to share those two examples where people can find more how, how to create personas that, that are more effective. Awesome. One of the things that I ran across was a talk that you gave, or maybe it was, um, it's just the slides because I just found the slides, but um, was a slide share and we will of course link to it on marketing strategies for 2019. Now I, this episode will probably go out around 2019. And so it will be closer than we're recording in October. So I can't imagine it now, but what are the kinds of things that people should be looking to for the future and looking to for what they should maybe change for their marketing strategy or add to it in order to be prepared for technology that's coming? Yes, I'd, I'd love to run through uh, some of the ideas, Kelly. And incidentally, I'll, I'll share a, a secret uh, with everyone on the podcast that we actually write that um, we, we do a blog post on the trends for 2019 every September because we find there's such a level of interest in trends, whatever the industry is. So um, looking at trends within legal um, the sector get in there before your rivals do and we we would find that as we come up to uh, Christmas like some of those statistic posts that I mentioned earlier we we would get 10,000 plus visits a month through that one um, post and we also feature it in SlideShare as, as, as well. Um, in terms of the the trends I think what's important will depend whether you're a strategist or you're more working on the tactical marketing campaigns for your your legal company uh, for for strategy i think it's very much about digital transformation as i mentioned earlier and we're seeing we've done some research recently where we're seeing that around a, th a third of the audience that we're talking to are planning to run uh, a digital transformation program in the next uh, 12 months and around a quarter already have a transformation program in place. They won't be relevant for the very smallest businesses or startups, but we're, we're seeing that people are looking at um, the reason you need transformation is that uh, digital is so complex today that you need to review your capabilities and look at your uh, your resources, your technology, how you manage your data, your whole digital marketing strategy uh, to really t take advantage of the uh, the benefits. CRM is is often a key part of uh, that as well. And then within, I think the other reason for transformation is 
to ensure that you've got digital integrated within the organization. Because what you see in many businesses is that as we've seen digital channels growing in importance, there's been separate teams set up and they often become a silo in a larger organization. And really what you need is the digital skills need to become uh, part of the whole marketing team's activities. Uh, so reskilling is a, a key part of that. And if I had my way, we wouldn't talk about digital marketing. We would talk about multi-channel or omni-channel marketing because it's all about this integrating the, uh, the different online and offline uh, touch points. But we find there's lots of people still uh, searching for digital marketing. So uh, that, that's what we offer. Uh, templates and strategies to help with with that. In terms of the uh, the tactics, uh, what I would say is uh, it would depend on your maturity. Really, we ask a question every year on the blog when we write this this post. We say, "What's your number one uh, priority or, or wish for the year ahead?" And not in terms of what's hot or what's cool. Uh, because often I think we can be a bit like magpies. I don't know whether you guys have heard <laughs> Jeff Bezos and him saying that we're, we're all after the, the shiny objects. Um, yes. <laughs> and if ever I meet and chat with people at uh, events, people always say, Dave, hey, what's you know the next big thing? Um, and I just want to say, well, get the basics right uh, first before you worry too much about the next big thing. Uh, so what we found over the last few years, it was mobile marketing. That was the top rated commercial improvement people wanted. Then it was content marketing. But what we're now seeing are really two areas. One is marketing automation. So to make better use of uh, automated emails as you're nurturing your customers and your prospects from prospect to customer. Uh, and personalization as as well. So to to recommend in a legal sense, you're not recommending products, perhaps, but you're more likely to be recommending content, which will help uh, a return visitor to the site uh, decide on, you know, the best content to help them decide who, who to choose. But what we've seen this year quite strongly is that the main commercial driver in our audience, at least, which tend to be quite sophisticated, a lot of them are looking at artificial intelligence. So AI is the uh, the current number one in, in our vote of uh, uh, top technologies for, for 2019. I'm so glad that you landed there on AI because uh, one of the other things in your in this slide share was adapting. You had a slide on adapting too early. And uh, Guy and I have talked about and spoken about voice search and how you know, there is some optimization you can do for it, but really it might still be a little too early to know what's going to happen or different strategies to use. So how do you, how do you think about, or what do you think about AI? Like, can you start putting things in place for it? Or is that also maybe a little too young in its uh, technology life? Yeah, that's uh, AI is real interesting in terms of when you should uh, review and look at the uh, the opportunities. I would say really, rather than saying what can we do with AI, it's more a matter of prioritizing for the business where the weaknesses are. The way we tend to look at it is we, we think of a, a customer life cycle. So any audience is going to go through a series of touch points, um, regardless of, of business. And it's a question of saying, well, do we have the right 
marketing communications in place to nudge and nurture people along that customer uh, life cycle. And what we see when we're consulting, we'll find often there's very big gaps in terms of that nurturing process. So to take a simple example, uh, I, I was working with a, a B2B company this this week. And whenever I work with a new business, I'll um, do a bit of mystery shopping. So I'll subscribe to their um, their newsletter and just see what their first touch point, that key uh, welcome message is. And, and in this case, it was a simple courier font that we all know and hate um, saying, you know, thank you for registering. And really, that was all that that most important email that business will ever send to its new prospects, that's all it was. So clearly improving that welcome message would be a first step, uh, talking about the benefits of the brand. But then beyond that, what would be the next best message that you might send someone out to target them with relevant information on the services they were interested? That would be the next question. And um, yeah, AI will be large, um, you know, will have a big impact in, in 10 years. But what I'm describing there is really simple rules-based automation that if you don't have that in place, then you shouldn't really be looking at, at, at AI right now. I'd say if you do have a good mature marketing automation program where AI can really help is within the personalization on the website. So we all know that the retailers, the likes of Amazon and the travel companies, the likes of Expedia, they've had personalization in place a long time to recommend products. For me, the exciting thing within uh, a profession like legal marketing is not so much recommending products and of course deals, but it's about recommending the best content for a returning visitor. Uh, to the site. So I think that's a trend that we'll see um, happening more. In terms of other applications of AI, there's uh, <laughs> there are a lot to go through. We actually wrote a post last year, um, 12 applications of AI, of which personalization was, was one. Um, one of the other voice search you mentioned was another. Uh, worth chatting about that a bit more because I think you, you're absolutely right. That's the case where you know there was that uh, record, wasn't there? Uh, don't believe the hype that I I like to uh, remind myself of. And I think voice search, particularly in the legal um, profession, won't have a big impact. As many people are saying, I, I've seen these stats saying that by 2020. 50% uh, of searches will be voice activated, and I just don't believe them. And yet there's so many uh, publishers sharing those. And I've actually looked at the source, and very often it's one blogger sharing what another blogger has said. And you go back to the original source, and there's really no evidence uh, for this. Sure, it may be in the level of 10%, but I think a lot of those voice searches will be people on Alexa where they're, you know, they're asking about the weather or they're setting a timer or alarm. It's not really going to cannibalize the desktop or mobile smartphone search that people will use. There will be a lot more smartphone um, activated uh, search, but people will look at the results on their, on their smartphones. So that's, that's nothing new. I think there's a couple of other areas for legal marketers which are far more 
uh, important and, and interesting. In the near term, one of the big trends I'm seeing is uh, what, what designers call conversational UIs or user interfaces. So we'll have seen these as consumers ourselves when we're using chatbots uh, like the Facebook Messenger chatbot. And if you want to take a look as how those are changing, um, take a look at the Nike, uh, the, the footwear company, clothing company, uh, take a look at their chatbot because it's effectively their messenger chatbot is replacing the, uh, the website. There's really no, it's like going through a sales assistant uh, dialogue. And within um, that, that may be something if you're in, uh, if you're thinking about legal marketing, it's likely you may have had a live chat if you're a large organization for some time and you're working with consumers. Um, if you're looking more at business legal advice, there's a very exciting technology and I'm excited about this because we use this technology ourselves. It's the next stage on from uh, live chat where you're actually having interactive dialogue on the site. So the classic way of inbound or content marketing is that you'll get someone's interest on their website through a hero content asset, they'll subscribe and you'll send them a series of emails. But often those are going to be lost amongst all the other emails that we have in our inbox. What these new technologies do is to have a interactive uh, dialogue actually there on the site. So we use a technology called Intercom and we're finding it's we're really popular with visitors to our site. It's engaging them and we're able to recommend uh, content depending on their um, audience segment and how far through the, uh, the customer lifecycle uh, that they are. So, so that's an application where chatbots and this company Intercom provide automated chatbots. There's others like Lyft uh, in this area as well that uh, I, I'd recommend anyone in legal marketing to take a look at that type of technology. Uh, one final thought on, on, on AI before we, we, we leave it, and that's that re really you should be thinking not about AI in general, but machine learning, which is about understanding historical interactions you've had with your audience and using that, that data to predict the future, what's the more, most relevant messages you could send in the future for that type of person. So really learning from the, uh, the past to inform the future, that's cool. And I'll, I must mention as well that now machine learning will actually generate content for you. So this is way out, but maybe in 10 years time, uh, we won't have to hand create so much content as we do, do now. There's already some publishers who are using machine learning to, uh, to create documents and um, manage the latest standards. So lots of ideas there in AI, Kelly. Very exciting. Yeah, that was all, um, you touched on a lot of great uh, future and even I think even some of it's going on now. I, the one thing that I, for listeners benefit that I would I tie back to and that you'd said at the outset uh, is to be so conscientious about how you implement these technologies because so often people get excited, like you said, and the way that they start to use the technology actually becomes a liability in terms of inauthenticity, right? So whether it's marketing automation or AI, uh, all of a sudden now your chatbot or your email campaign or the content that's being generated doesn't feel as authentic as it would be if you had done it manually. And so I would just caution folks that are uh, starting to embrace these technology. I think 
I think there's no question that they they play a role and they're going to play a larger role in the future. But be very careful uh, about how you implement them. The devil's in the details. You can actually turn off more of your audience uh, if it comes across as inauthentic. If you know it, the the upside is uh, there's a lot of potential for it, but just you know be very careful about how you're doing that because you might find yourself sending messaging out that. Um, you know, doesn't speak in the voice that uh, your audience is accustomed to hearing from you. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to to that. And uh, I think another danger with technology is that all relevant features aren't aren't used. Marketing automation, which very very powerful technology, as I've said, you can set up these nurture sequence where you target people by the type of in industry and their their interests. But what we find in our research of marketers across sectors is that many of these automation features aren't used. And the the uh, it's really just a glorified email marketing system where the same newsletter is being sent out to everyone and there's very little dynamic adaptive content being used. So really the businesses aren't getting their return on investment from this uh, this this content um, and, and, and the, the marketing automation uh, as as well. So what I would advise is, yeah, it's it, it's like any strategy. You need to prioritize your strategic options, which align with your your business priorities. And uh, there are so many technologies out there now. It's uh, I, I don't know whether you guys, anyone listening, has seen the uh, the, the the super graphic that a guy called uh, Scott Brinker. Uh, he now works for HubSpot. He he created this first in 2011, and he identified 800 different right. Martech marketing technology brands. Um, yep. He's gone on updating that each year, and it's now a crazy visual. Uh, it wouldn't fit on a, on that T-shirt. It's like I think he's up to 5,000 different technologies that marketers can can choose. So so really prioritizing the ones that matter is 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 needed what we've tried to do to simplify it and we haven't managed to simplify it that far is we've identified 30 categories uh, across the the customer life cycle of uh, marketing automation and other insights technologies so that we can learn about our audience to um that any business needs so um we're actually updating that next ne next week uh, so there are a lot of free tools that you can use as as well so we were talking about keyword behavior earlier so using the google keyword planner google search console those are two of the uh, categories on our in in our 30 most businesses i think should use those but often they're not used inside the business, they might be used outside at agencies. So uh, th this is why, going back to transformation, there are so many technologies, you're not gonna get them all in place and customize them in a, a six month period. You need a long-term roadmap where you prioritize them and, and customize them to, to make the most of them. I think that's what's needed. And uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us today and our audience. Uh, we'll make sure to uh, put a link to the manifesto in the show notes so people can uh, take a look at that because I do think there's some timeless lessons in there and also some great guides. Uh, but Dave, thank you so much again. And um, if you ever find yourself in Chicago or Minneapolis, please don't hesitate to reach out. 
I may well be visiting before too long. Uh, we, we've got relatives in uh, in Minnesota, so uh, I'll, um, awesome. maybe maybe in a, maybe in a year or two, I'll uh, you weren't expecting me to uh, take you up on that, but maybe I I I, I will. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for the uh, the questions, Guy and Kelly, and I I hope the uh, through looking at the trends, uh, there's some practical takeaways uh, for the marketing team members that, that we have on the call today and um, if if anyone wants to follow my latest updates then uh, LinkedIn is uh, uh, the, the, probably the best channel and I'd be happy to answer any questions on my uh, LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. All right. If you like what you heard today, please find us on Apple Podcast and give us a lovely rating there. Connect with us on social media. Twitter is awesome or any of the other ones are great too. Thank you so much for listening and join us again for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Follow Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.